0: Good morning again, everyone. It's good to have you here with us again. Might as well start the message this way. Let me brag, okay? Let's start that way. Let me show you a picture of my daughter, Hazel. See that, girl? This is a picture of me and my daughter, Hazel, yesterday. We were running a 5K. She ran this 5K. It's called Run Forest Run at Forest Elementary School and she is the fastest girl her age. That's okay, that's good. But she's also the fourth fastest female of any age. Uh, She ran this 5K in 25 minutes and 25 seconds. She is flying. (laughs) This picture was taken at the one-mile mark And that is the only time I was in front of her the entire race. (laughs) That's all I could do to keep up with her, and it's going to be something else to keep up with her going forward. I love this picture. There's just something about that picture, it was taken yesterday, and man, we just had a good time, Uh, her and I was just kind of one of those things, and uh, as she's running Uh, When we started the race, there's this group of boys. uh, There was a a line that said competitive runners only, and so we kind of lined up there, and there's this group of boys who kind of just pushed their way to the front, because they were going to start at the front edge of the track, or excuse me, on the street, and they were going to race for all they were worth, and they got to about the end of this sanctuary, and they were toast. I mean, they were (laughs) done. I mean, a 5K, that's that's 3.2 miles, and they took off. And, uh, and then they started walking one by one. And I just kept telling Hazel, I said, hey, we got that one. We got that one. And then they would look over their shoulder and see that there was a girl coming after them. I said, we're going to get them. And they'd take off again. And they'd sprint about this far. And then they would, you know, drop to their knees just about. And one by one, she picked them off one by one by one by one. And I'll tell you, there's, oh man, it's a good moment for a daddy. All right. So I wanted to start that way this morning, but here's what I want to also share with you because this is a picture that I love. But actually, and I've got a, bl- a blown up one here. Let me show you a picture a little bit older than that. Can you see that? I don't know how well you can see that. So right now it is spring, 2017, April. This picture is taken spring 1997, I believe. 1997. That is Aaron and I. Um, it's a picture that I love. So this is. Uh, what I have in our house, and sometimes it's in my office, and so it's a very special picture uh, to me. So, if you see here, there's a few reasons. There's a a few layers to why this picture is special. Uh, First of all, there's Erin, who is now my wife, and at that point uh, for some reason she chased me all over the place, and it was awesome. Let me tell you what. Because I had never had any girl pay any attention to me before and she thought I was hot stuff and that was awesome. (laughs) Look how happy she is to be with me, isn't that neat? (laughs) And and so it's just a fond memory for me. So let me, so if you can see this here. So this picture that was taken was cut out of another like wider lens picture. And you know, back in those days you had to go and actually get your pictures developed and those type of things. And so this picture is blown up from something about the size of a quarter. It was a small picture that I decided that I wanted to blow up and give to Erin as a gift, and this was the gift that I gave her. And um, I went with my grandmother, it's a special memory for me. I went to my grandmother and I said, I'd like, I see that you have some of these pictures like this around the house, will you teach me how to do that? And so, uh, she helped me cut out this piece of wood. And then the next thing I know, uh, I, I went home and it came back and my grandmother had grandmotherized it. Um, and what that means, and you probably can't see it here. Uh, But she loves, my grandmother loves, she's passed away at this point, but she loved the hot glue gun. And so we've got two little teddy bears uh, that are hot glued on here. There's a little forest uh, thing that's hot glued to it. Uh, it, The whole thing is decoupage to the point that I think it could float if it needed to. Um, There's a verse added here, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength, they will mount up on wings like eagles, they shall run and not be weary, they shall walk and not faint. And then of course hot glued to the bottom of it is a strip of leather to make sure that it doesn't slide when it's on top of, you know. So it's a fond memory for me and my grandmother to do together. But the other reason why this is a fond memory for me is this picture was taken at the Hamburg, uh, at the Hamburg track. And in this picture what is happening, if you see we're both carrying pole vaulting poles over our shoulder. And so, uh, what happened this year was the first year in New York State that females were allowed to compete in the pole vault. And so, uh, myself and my cunning ways, I decided that I was going to teach uh, my girlfriend at the time, uh, Erin, how to pole vault. And she would be the first pole vaulter uh, in our school's history. And so what happened here at this particular meet was that she… ran and jumped in competition for the first time a female from our school had ever done it. So she was the first to set the very first record for our school. And she cleared a height of 5 feet 5 inches from the pole vault. Yes, yeah, you should give her a round of applause. And so in the same exact meet, there was a girl who high jumped 6 feet 2 inches, but was the first. And in fact, our local newspaper, the Arcade Herald, which is, you know, readers of, you know, 200 people read this paper or whatever, but regardless of how hard I worked, regardless of how good I did getting into the paper, I could not beat the fact that for some reason the editor of this paper loved uh, Erin and figured out a way to make her the headline story no matter what happened. So in this meet. I qualified for the state qualifier. I was trying to break my father's record as a pole vaulter in the school, and I was jumping. I cleared 12 feet 6 inches in this meet, and my dad's record was 12 feet 9 inches. So now my dad's record was number one in the school, I was number two, so it was a pretty big deal. But the headline of the paper said, Erin Daly, first pole vaulter, female pole vaulter in school history. Big picture of her on the cover page full page article, and at the bottom it said, Wilson also competed. (laughs) I love this picture. There's a few limitations with this picture. There's a few limitations. It would be absurd of me to take this picture and strap it in the car next to me, buckle it in, and drive around town with this picture sitting in the seat next to me. Would that be absurd? That would be absurd. It's a nice picture, all decoupage and all that, it is. I mean it is gorgeous and all that, but it would be foolish of me to think that this picture is going to put its hand on my shoulder uh, or or is going to talk to me when, when we're driving the minivan down the street with four screaming kids and a three-legged dog. and like. There's no way that this picture is going to do that. There's no way that this picture is going to tell me when I've been an idiot and I need to get myself back together. There's no way that this picture is going to critique this sermon this morning. It's just a picture. It's a two-dimensional image, and there are a few things that this picture does, and I love this picture. I love to talk about this picture. There's so much backstory with it, I love to share that with you this morning. But in itself, it is a two-dimensional image. I can't look at it and feel Erin's tenderness, her kindness. I can't look at that picture and know uh, her feelings or her emotions, her compassion. Her love for our children, her love for this church, her love for people, her love for God, all of that is not in that two-dimensional image. That picture is just that. It is a picture. And what I want is not the picture. What I want is my beautiful wife, Aaron. That's the difference between a picture or an illustration. What I want is Aaron. So let's transition from there. Pull open your Bibles this morning to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. If you're using the Bibles in front of you, that's page 1262. If you're using an online app or a U version or something like that, we're in the New International Version. We're in Hebrews chapter 10. And again, the author of Hebrews has gone through, if we have been with us and we've traveled with us, uh, and if not, that's okay too, but the author of Hebrews has made its way through and has been showing these demonstrations, these different pictures. He says, uh, take a look at Melchizedek. He is a picture of who? He, he's a picture of Jesus, and Jesus is coming. Let's talk about Melchizedek, but not, not really Melchizedek. Let's talk about Jesus. Let's talk about uh, the sanctuary and all that was going on in the temple and, and the tabernacle. Let's talk about that. But Really what we want to talk about is Jesus. Let's talk about the high priest, but let's not only talk about the high priest, let's talk about Jesus. Let's talk about the law. Let's talk about all that the law does, but really let's not talk about the law, let's talk about Jesus. Why? Because those are all pictures. They're all illustrations. Don't get fixated on the picture, Don't get fixated on the picture. Get away from looking at the shadows. Get away from looking at the reflection. Let's look at the real thing. Let's focus on what has substance. You see, there's a conundrum that that God has to solve, and and I'm not trying to be confusing when I say that. I understand that God is omniscient, but, but track with me. There's this conundrum that God has to solve. So how does a radically holy and just God, how does a radically holy and just God forgive radically broken and damaged and guilty people? How does he do that? How does a judge just allow those to go free who have been proven guilty? Imagine this in our modern context, imagine if there were uh, if there were a judge who had a guilty conviction that should come, all the evidence is in, all the fingerprints are there, all of the eyewitnesses are there, this person is guilty as can be, and yet that judge says, you are fine, you may go free. Imagine how angry would be people would be. Imagine the uproaring. And how can a judge whose only responsibility is to do what? Is to uphold justice. How could that judge possibly let the guilty go free? Even in scripture, we we read about the idea of an unjust judge, scripture calls an abomination. So what can God do? God says, I've got a solution. Jesus, come over here, I've got this solution. He says, here's the plan, Jesus. Are you willing to follow this through to the end? Are you with me? And let's predict it through the Old Testament scriptures. Let's predict it through the law. Let's predict it through through the, the, the prophet Melchizedek, the priest Melchizedek. Let's predict it through the high priest. Let's predict it through all of these things so that when it comes to pass, it will be so obvious that people can't miss it, that the illustration is there. Let's demonstrate it through the rules, the regulations, the practices. Let's demonstrate all that is a picture that leads us to something of substance. You see, the law is never spoken of as bad, it's never spoken of as evil, it is never spoken of as improper in any way, it's just spoke of as an illustration. As an illustration. It is not a mistake, but it is incomplete. It's not a mistake, but it is incomplete. In your sermon outline this morning, you've got in your bulletins, you can pull it out. It's a white sheet of paper. It has the graphic on the top of it. I've printed for you a a poem by John Bunyan. He's the author of Pilgrim's Progress. It's written in the 1700s and an, an amazing allegory that takes us through the life of this man, Christian, who is a pilgrim who is making his way to the celestial city. But this poem captures so much of the essence of what's going on here in Hebrews chapter 10, I think it's a great framework for us to look at today. Here we go. It says this, run, John, run, the law commands, but gives us neither feet nor hands. Far better news the gospel brings, it bids us fly and gives us wings. Far better news the gospel brings, it bids us fly and gives us wings. So if you got that outline out this morning, first I want to talk about this, a rigid matter. A rigid matter. That's a fill-in for you this morning. It's beginning in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1. And if we're using that poem as a great kind of way to carry us through this passage, a rigid matter, run, John, run, or if you want to scratch that out and, and write your name in it, run, Milo, run, the law commands. Check this out. Chapter 10, verse 1. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices, repeat endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. It is a shadow of things to come. This is not evil. In fact, the way that we want, this is a way that we want people to live. If people were to live the way that the Old Testament law prescribes for them to live, this would be a better society. Do we agree on that? It would be better for us to treat each other kindly. It would be better for us to live in a way that an eye for an eye, meaning that we cannot reciprocate pain and suffering with higher levels of pain and suffering. We would be a better society for that. Rules are helpful. Rules are good. Laws are good. But there is something Better coming. The law was only the shadow of the things that were to come. It is not the very form of things. For this reason, these sacrifices had to be repeated time after time, year after year, to do what? To make perfect those who draw near. Take, for instance, Adam and Eve. As soon as they sinned, they did what? We find that God is walking through the garden in the evening, and where do we find Adam and Eve? We find them hiding away in the bushes. We find them covering themselves up. Why? They are ashamed. They know that they have sinned. Parents, you know when your child has sinned because you come into the room and there is something amiss. There is something exploded on the table, whatever it is, and all the kids are gone. Or they won't make eye contact with you. They look away. It's not even with kids. Our, our, our puppies will do the same thing. You come into the room and that dog has its look in you and you know something is the matter. Why? Because of sin. Adam and Eve don't want to face him because of what they have done. Year after year, sacrifices are being offered Year after year, these people have avoided the things. They've done something wrong. And so the sacrifice has to be offered again and again and again. And every year, it comes around again. Here's your third fill-in. A sweet psalm. A sweet psalm. As the poem reads, far better news the gospel brings. Verse 5. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, "Sacrificing an offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings, you were not pleased." Then I said, "Here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, my God." First he said, "Sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them." They were offended in accordance with the law. Then he said... Here I am, I have come to do your will. He sets aside the first to establish the second, and by that will we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. The author of Hebrews here has this give and take, he's actually speaking through the voice of Jesus. And he goes back, and If you can turn there if you want, but it's Psalm chapter 40, it's a beautiful psalm. It's one of my favorite songs that has come out in the last number of years. It's a Hillsong song called, Jesus, Lover of My Soul. And it's been out for a while, but here are the words if you've not heard it before. It says this, Jesus, lover of my soul, Jesus, I will never let you go. You've taken me from the miry clay. You set my feet upon the rock, and now I know. I love you. I need you. And though the world may fall, I'll never let you go. You're my Savior, my closest friend. I will worship you until the very end. That song is taken almost line by line from Psalm chapter 40. It is just talking about how we are rooted. We are taken out of the miry clay and set on the rock, and we can put in our roots there. We can dig in deep. We can lock in and hold on. My Savior, my closest friend, I will worship you until the very end. In Psalm 40, verses 6 through 8 is actually what this author of Hebrews is quoting. And he says, I have come to do your will. You see, the author of Psalms, as he is writing Psalms, he's speaking in future tense of Christ. And the author of Hebrews is speaking in present or slightly past tense of Christ. They're pointing, he said, I have come, I have come to do your will. You see, the cross was not an accident. The cross was not some unforeseen mistake that happened because they, they, that God and the Son and the Holy Spirit, that they misfigured what was going to happen there in Rome. It's absurd. When the Romans ruled and they began this crucifixion process, it fit in exactly to the will of God. This tragedy did not take Jesus by surprise. It was not a temporary setback that God had to reconfigure how things were going to go. He knew that because it was what? It was the will of God. It was part of God's predetermined plan from the beginning of time to deal with your sin, to deal with my sin, and to set aside this Old Testament practice of sacrifice once and for all it would not be necessary anymore because of what Jesus did on the cross because he defeated sin and the grave when he rose again as we talked about last week Easter Sunday that celebration is the fact that he had fulfilled the very will of God the Father once and for all the author of Hebrews continues this in verse 11 once and for all the filling is this the final Sacrifice, the final sacrifice. The poem reads, it bids us fly. It bids us fly and gives us wings. Verse 11, day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sin. But when this priest, Jesus, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he awaits his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. First, he says, this is the covenant I will make with them after that time, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. And he adds, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. And here's the, the climax. And where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. The author portrays the priest here in chapter 10, who stands daily offering time after time the same sacrifices. And he says, which will never take away sin. Why, If I'm that priest, why do I keep coming back and offering these sacrifices again and again and again? My problem as the priest, your problem as the people is that we don't have the strength to avoid sin, and we keep coming back. How do you actually remedy this? And the feeling that your hands are tied behind your back in the process or that you're cut off at the knees, you can't run, you can't go after it. Why? Because that is the damage that is done by the law, that we cannot fulfill it. You may as well tell a lame man to walk. Someone did that, didn't they? What did he say? He said, your sins are forgiven. Get up and walk. Can you imagine such a thing? Or how about... He just went ahead and told a lame man to fly. Do you think God might command that? You see, it's such a beautiful picture, an illustration of the freedom that we find in Christ. You see, in Christ we have complete, final, once and for all, pardon for our sins, present, past, and future. You see, when Jesus came and died on the cross, He died for sins all in the past. The readers that would read that book of Psalms and read Psalm 40, Jesus died on the cross for their sins. But there was no line in the sand, He said, I took care of it. And for us, 2,000 years later, we look at him and we say, you know what, God, as I'm coming to you now, He says, oh, well, you know, that was unforeseen. We didn't expect, you know, society to go that way. So." You know, there's, there's a limit to how far the forgiveness of sins goes. No. Once and for all. Many of us are prone to say, well, what's the catch? What's the catch? We can be free. I don't even get a free lunch without a catch. It's totally free to us because Christ bore the awful penalty that we deserved to pay. We're not talking here, we are talking here about our standing or position before Christ. In our daily walk, when we sin, we need to confess that before the Lord. We need to ask that for forgiveness. You may call that maybe God's family forgiveness. What does that mean? There is nothing that any of my children can do. There is no crime that they commit, no sin that they can commit, no damage that they can do that dismisses them, eradicates them from being part of, of my family. And when God says that He adopts us as children of God, that is the process. When we, when we come into the family of God, He says, You are my children, you are forgiven. But if my kids do sin against me, they need to come to me, ask for forgiveness for that. So that what? Our relationship is not hindered. Some of you have a relationship between you and God that is hindered. Even so, we see that with the Apostle Peter, who's denied Christ three times, he is reinstated how God forgives him. Jesus forgives him and brings him back in and says, You are part of the family again. Now go and serve and be. How does he do that? Through total, absolute, total. Forgiveness. Far better news the gospel brings, it bids us fly and gives us wings. The gospel brings forgiveness. The gospel gives us wings by which we can fly. You and I need total forgiveness. We absolutely need total forgiveness. And if you're in this room this morning and you're thinking, I've got it pretty much together. There's a few things on the perimeter that I should be forgiven for. You've, you've missed it. If the law teaches us anything, if the Old Testament sacrifices teach us anything, it is that if you have broken one part of the law, you have have completely broken the law. We are vile and despicable at the root. And there's a teaching that goes around today that says, well, at at the core, their heart is good. At the core, they're good people. They're just doing bad things. And and the Bible tells us the opposite. It says, no, we are despitefully and despicably wicked in our hearts without Jesus Christ. Through Jesus Christ, that transformation occurs. And what happens? Well, I would be afraid to walk into a holy and just God. I would be afraid to walk in there if it weren't for His forgiving Spirit. Do you understand that? There would be no way I could come into the presence of God. If he is a holy and just God, he would not allow any sin into that space unless he were willing to have me. You know, naturally, we do unto others what we would have them do unto us. Steve Jobs wrote a story, wrote his own story, and one of the chapters of his story is called "Abandon People, Abandon People. And if you've read any of his, his stuff, he, he um, was adopted at a young age. He was, uh, he was adopted into the Jobs family. His mother abandoned him when he was a child. And then later in his life, he and his girlfriend got pregnant, and he found himself abandoning that child in a very similar fashion as he was abandoned. So abandoned people abandoned people. Yet I would also issue to you this morning that forgiven people... Forgive people. It looks like forgiveness, even when the other person doesn't want to cooperate. Forgiveness looks different, because it, it, look at Jesus on the cross. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Look at Stephen as he is martyred. Father, forgive them. They don't know what their actions mean right now. I would bet that, that Stephen understood what it meant to be forgiven, or he could not make a statement like that. He was so overwhelmed by God's grace on his life, for him to issue a statement like that, to forgive these people as they are picking up stones and throwing them, and committing an act of murder, Father, God, forgive them. You don't do that unless you are forgiven. The disciples asked Jesus, how many times should we forgive someone? Very naturally. If you do something to me, I forgive you once. You do the exact same thing again. I'll forgive you twice. You get up towards three or four or five times, I'm getting tired of you. Knock it off. Seven times I forgive you. What do we see in Scripture? Jesus says, you know what? Let's expand that a little. Let's go 70 times seven. Forgive that person 490 times. And now you're starting to get close to what it looks like to have forgiveness of what the Father has done for you and for me. Far better news the gospel brings and bring, it bids us fly and gives us wings. We have wings because we're, we're, we're in a whole different dimension. That's what forgiveness does. Horatio Spafford said this, my sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin not in part but the whole was what? Was nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, oh, my soul. That man understood what forgiveness. Meant this last week in the news was a very tragic event. It was a man who committed a crime, committed murder, posted it on Facebook as it was happening. It's a miserable event. His family, if you've seen this, I hope that you have. Maybe look it up afterwards. I'm going to read some of this. There was an interview with Anderson Cooper on CNN. I believe it was Monday evening. At that point, the criminal was at large. Many of you know the criminal was caught in Erie, PA, and he took his own life in that process. The victim was Robert Godwin, Sr., was brutally murdered on Easter Sunday in Cleveland. Yet the family forgave the father's killer. Godwin's alleged assailant, Steve Stevens, broadcast the crime on Facebook, and at that point was still at large. The subject of a multi-state manhunt. Godwin's former wife, along with three of his adult children, he had, I believe, nine, held one together and expressed their love for their father and gratitude for his life and said that they're relying on their faith to get them through this difficult time. And remarkably, they said that despite their anger about his untimely death, they forgive Stevens for killing their father. At this point, Stephen is still at large. He's not been caught. He could be out committing another crime, and yet they say, we forgive. Taman Godwin told Lemon, I just want people to know that my father was a good man, and he was a good father, and he was a family man, and he was a good grandfather, and he would do anything for anyone. And when the CNN host, Anderson Cooper, told Godwin's former wife, Dorothy Crumpton, and said that she could have the final word, this is what she said, and it packed up. It says here, packed quite a punch in her final few seconds. The distraught woman who called Godwin her very best friend, quoted John 3.16. Here's what she said. Okay, since I got the last word, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believed in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And then Crumpton added that the family didn't want Stevens to kill himself or police to kill him because... At the end of the day, Jesus died for his sins too, just like he died for mine. Forgiven people, forgive people. As the band comes up this morning, I just want to repeat that poem one more time. Run, John, run, the law commands, but gives us neither feet nor hands. Far better news the gospel brings. It bids us fly and gives us wings. Dear Lord, this morning I pray that we would live as forgiven people. Pray that we would understand what you did at the cross and what tremendous love that that took and takes today to continually, daily interact and intercede on our behalf. Well, there may be many people here this morning that have really not grasped a hold of what it means to be forgiven. And for your love to just wrap its loving arms around and embrace them. Lord, the thought of losing a loved one and being willing to say, in that moment, in the heat of battle, as as everything is in turmoil, at the end of the day, Jesus died for his sins too just like he did mine. Lord, let that be our heart. Let that be our anthem. Let that be what we pursue after. And if that were the case, Lord, that would, that would ripple out a lot larger than this address here this morning. That would ripple out just like it has with this family. That would ripple out across our country. Forgiven people. Forgive people. Lord, this morning I pray that there would be someone here maybe multiple people that would find freedom today through forgiveness and be given wings by which to fly. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
1: In the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Spirit, Lord, we come and we'll gather together to call on your name, to call on our Savior, to fall on your grace. If you want to stand as we sing this song, you're more than welcome to. In the name of the Father, in the name of the Son. In the name of the Spirit,
2: Lord, we come.
1: We gather together, lift up your name to call on our Savior, to fall on your grace. Hear the joyful sound of our offering as your saints bow down, as your people sing. Say that our God
2: saves, our God saves. There is hope in your
1: name. In the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Spirit. Lord, we come, we're gathered together To lift up your name, to call on our Savior To fall on your grace Hear the joyful sound of our offering As your saints bow down, as your people sing We will rise with you, lifted on your wings sound of our offering as your saints bow down as your people sing we will rise with you lifted on your wings and the
3: you can be seated. Hey, what a wonderful morning it was, worshiping with you all, just being reminded of that fact that the Lord saves us. We're formed by this idea so that we can go out and share that and bear witness to that, uh, to our community, to our world. So, It's great that you were here this morning, that we could be formed together as a people going out. And so, like uh, I was reminded last Sunday, we're not a church that just meets on Sunday mornings. We have things all uh, going on all over the place, all the time, uh, to help you find your place upward, inward, and outward here at the church. So just a couple of things quickly to point your attention to. Our young adult, our young professionals group, the kickoff uh, luncheon is happening next Sunday right after the service, and we would just love for all of our young professionals here just to get together and just hear about what's going on. It's just a chance. There's no pressure to it. It's not the start. You're not committing to doing it, but just a chance to get to to meet each other, see each other's Faces, hear a little bit more about each other's stories, and then plan out what we would like to do from that. So, if you're a young professional here and you're interested in that, we've got a kiosk in the back. If you know of someone that would really benefit from this, uh, see me. I'll be at the kiosk in the back um, after the service. Come see me. I'd love to just invite them. It'd be something as simple as just an invitation to come one time for some pizza uh, on Sunday uh, Sunday afternoon next week, and so see me, please. If you've got a name or if you're out there and you're interested in that, we'd love to do that. Finally, uh, one of our partners, you heard of two of our new partners that uh, we just brought on, and we've got another one that's been a long-term partner with uh, the Stewarts, Tim Stewart and Karen Stewart with Campus Ambassadors. They're putting on a free pancake breakfast downstairs right after the service. So if you've got some time, come grab a pancake, here. About what's going on with campus ambassadors. Like I said, it, there's no cost to it. There'll be a, a free will offering taken up for them. But uh, we'd love for you to join. I'm going down to get some pancakes. I'd love for you to join us. It would. It's going to be a great time. So come uh, get some uh, get some pancakes. Hear more about what's happening with campus ambassadors. One of our partners in that. Again, lots of other stuff going on. You can see it in the bulletin, uh, online, uh, on Facebook, all the, t- all the uh, social media stuff we've got going. We'd love to help you find your place. Let's stand as we uh, read our benediction this morning. Revelation 1, 5 and 6. Read it with me. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom of priests to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Go in peace.